Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Explicit Measures podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Mike. Hello, and welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be here, gentlemen. Glad to be here. Here. Is that a Fanta? No, it's actually like a, a polar. Fanta. It's like what? a seltzered water. What? It's a polar. Oh. So just just some sparkling water. Okay. After I've gotten back from Europe, I've I've absorbed some new habits. Uh, it's sparkling scarfs water. and sparkling water now are like my Man. things. It's my jam. Next week we'll have a baguette with you. Yeah. Hmm? Next week I'll have a, a mustache with some a curly cues on the side hmm. of it. It'll... <laughs> with with a with a what uh, a, be- a beret a beret a beret. A beret yeah I don't know if it'll go very well with my I will I will admit the the headphone things that I like to wear Seth and I Seth has no problem the hair doesn't really get messed up by the headphones um, Tommy wears inner ear, ear pods so his hair is always stylish and looking good that's why I do the AirPods but I literally could care less about my hair and I have so little of it I should just probably go bald anyways but um do it my I put my headphones on and the headphones push back a little bit of the hair and I'll come up from the basement after I've been working for a while and everyone just starts laughing at me like your hair it's crazy because the headphones like push the hair back into like a little like raised area so halfway through my head I have like a divot and then there's like a yeah. little raised hair. it's like this really weird like it's definitely headphone hair. So I, do, I don't know if there's a thing yet, but it should there be should be a thing for I, headphone hair. Do you remember what haircuts are like? I mean, what Me? do you mean by that? No. <laughs> Seth doesn't remember. I'm getting a haircut tomorrow, and I'm so excited for it. It's just so needed on yeah. the sides. But like, man, is that a thing for you still? Or I don't know. We should do we should do a bet here for either either someone has to grow out their beard all the way, or someone's got to shave all their hair off. Or both. both. Or both. I'm telling you, Mike. Mike, there, there's, there are subreddits. There are, there, are, <laughs> there are places for like AI. You know, people posting pictures. Should I go bald? Should I go? I know. Do it, man. Just do it and grow out that beard you got. Oh man, I don't know. Yeah, majestic. The community loved that majestic beard, Mike. Well, well, you know, well maybe we'll, maybe we'll bring it back. Take a hit, you know. Well, see, the wife's not a big this, fan. There's this thing called just, a wife, and she does not like the tickly beard so much. So I know, I know, but it is what it bro, is, bro. You, you you bald with that with that man beard there? Mm. I get it's funny because I I grow out the beard and I get lots of compliments. Uh, yes, so I, like, I love the beard. She's like, who's complimenting you? I'm like, uh, every other man every, that I met. Everyone, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Mike, you look good with a beard. Oh, yeah, looks yeah. good okay. with a beard. All right, yeah, it hides my double chin. I know, I know, it does. Yes. <laughs> Turn See, the corner, man. When I grow the beard, I just get checked more often at the airport. <laughs> Tommy, you just look shady in general. So adding the beard adds, adds more shade that, to you. That's the Italian. Yeah, that's the Italian. So real quick, I got a couple announcements here, and we'll jump into our main topic. So uh, one of our introductions here is the Microsoft Fabric Conference is coming up on March 26th through the 28th. There is pre-con workshops on the 24th, 25th, and a post-con workshop on the 29th. If you want $100 off your coupon or your tickets, go use Carlo100 to get $100 off your tickets. So we hope you enjoy the conference. Hope we'll see you there. And then, uh, Tommy, you've got a main topic here. I think Tommy's got a beef going on here with some new AI. Uh, Tommy, you want to give us the other uh, news item today? You know, I, I sing the praises of AI, ChatGPT, Llama, uh, all these things. And we were all so excited for Copilot. And I don't want to say this. I hate to say this, but I'm not really jazzed. I'm not digging Copilot yet. Um, 
I'm actually pretty underwhelmed with a lot of the features and the abilities so far. I'll give an example. There, obviously, it's in every application now, and one of them would be like PowerPoint, right? And it's right. like, okay, well, maybe write a little transcript for this slide. Doesn't understand what that means. It's incredibly limited, and the scope of what it can do in each product is right now for very, very specific capabilities. And not really allowing you if I want to say, hey, I want to take a look at this. Does this look good? Doesn't understand what that means. Saying, I don't understand your prompt. Please ask something that I know. Um, if I'm trying to summarize my email in Copilot in uh, Teams, I was like, hey, what's going on? What's my new emails? It gave me three examples of junk email that is not relevant. Not taking anything from certain folders or from a calendar that I had to do a uh, meeting invite. And it's like, this is there's a lot of things I'm finding that are useless and not what I was expecting it to be. I wasn't expecting it to do everything for me, but my ability to interact with each application, especially PowerPoint, um, it's just feeling like it's a very limited, limited scope right now. And I'm, I'm a little disappointed. What's sad about that? I will say this. I think I'm getting confused on what's co-pilot and what's not co-pilot. And the reason I'm saying this is because the, the branding of things that are AI are called Copilot. So, for example, I've, I've been recently, my family knows I'm recently obsessed with uh, Chuck Norris jokes. So I keep asking uh, Copilot, give me random new Chuck Norris jokes. Now, I think I've hit a point in time where I keep getting the same jokes over and over again. It's not really generating anything new. But uh, if I ask that into like the Copilot app versus like the co-pilot window on the side of a windows explorer oh, yeah, yeah, versus yeah, yeah. if i ask it some other like sometimes i get like well we don't like to make jokes we're an ai to help assist you like i'm like Ooh. oh now do you like okay <laughs> yeah. sassy <Cool>. ai <laughs> like just tell me the joke already so like i'm i'm so in that respect like i feel like i'm i feel like there's a lot of different things that are ai but they're all different flavors like for example you go over to microsoft designer and you can get Microsoft Designer to generate images off of some text. Awesome. I use that feature a lot. But if I go over to the Copilot inside like the browser, it won't do it. And it says like, I'll make you an image and it just kind of gets stuck halfway through. And you're like, uh, are you thinking? Is it going to get completed? I don't know. And then there's Copilot in like Teams. And that seems to be a yet another slightly different experience. And so I have a hard time understanding right now in each program, what should Copilot be doing? Mm -hmm. And I feel like Tommy, this is this is where I think this is what we haven't gotten dialed in yet. There needs to be like something called Prompt Master. So they have this Copilot Labs. Yes, like, I saw that. Yeah, but you can't create your own. You can only save prompts that have already Microsoft's already created. Bogus. Like and that's not that's not what we want here. I want to make I want to be able to have my library of prompts, but I need to know like. Right. What prompts work well in Word? What prompts work well in, like, I do like the Outlook thing. Outlook has done a couple times where I've had to summarize this email and it reads through an email thread and gives me some summary deep, yeah. deep points. It's getting better. It definitely does. I will say this, the co-pilot that's running on top of videos and transcripts that are inside meetings, yeah. that's working pretty good. That's cool. But that's been out. Like, it's not the generative side of ChatGPT, generative language, because, again, it's more like... AI things that have already been available in like PowerPoint, such as the designer, mm -hmm. for example, 
the prompts that are available to me, add an image. Okay. Like, or organize my slides. I'm like, I've never really wanted that. Like that's never, I've never had that. Like, Oh, I wish I had an AI to organize the slides. And my slides are so disorganized. I don't understand it at all. I've done this step-by-step here already. And when I, and I've tried each of these and each time I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. Like that's horrendous. Or it's, you basically can hear in the background, like I am a robot and for like the, some of the drafts. So Copilot should, I'm not saying it should be exactly like ChatGPT or those other tooling, but I feel like they're, they're using a different system on the back end, and that was not the expectation in terms of being able to customize. But even what would you be trying to do in each tool? And I think that's the problem I have with all technology is whenever I'm going to buy a tool or use something, Power BI, you know, like really what are you trying to do? And I think that's why I've latched on to Power BI Copilot right now, I think it's still a very beta version. I I have two different thoughts. One is, as you guys are talking, Mike, I think yours is resonating well with me as far as the confusion part, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Um, calling Where, what prompt should I be using? Like, well, I, calling everything Copilot, at least from an end user perspective, assumes that Copilot, depending on what I'm paying for, yeah, I'm enabling other features of Copilot, so that thing should work or behave similarly wherever I am. Yes, and that's just not the case, right? Yeah, hey, exactly. Tires on all the things, but it's just not the case. So, mm-hmm. is it the same technologies and people are and the different teams are leveraging it differently and they have different prompts and like, yes, it's disconnected, it's disjointed. I, I'm I'm guessing that eventually it's supposed to tie in together. I. I don't know. Or it's going to remain like one of these <clears throat> not so great marketing pushes where you get a copilot and you get a copilot and you get a copilot. But what we're talking about is copilot for Microsoft 365 or copilot for sales or copilot for service or copilot. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Like, can we now we're, we can't really use acronyms because copilot <laughs> for sales would be the same as copilot for service. So it's yep. COS, something, 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 something. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I feel you there. Um, on on the positive side, unlike Tommy, a lot of my job uh, lately is turning into like communication. It's communication in organization. Yeah. And as you consolidate and summarize thoughts, PowerPoint is that thing. However, I'm a bullet list guy, right? Like I, I very no typically... Fluff. No I fluff. Very, well, very we typically structure out what my agenda is going to be, my how I want to articulate something, you know, whatever, whatever. So I have a framework to go build my slides. Mm-hmm. In my testing, and in so what what I've done is take full full documents in like Word docs that mm-hmm. have accompanied presentations before. Now, mind you, I would use an LLM to give me a framework, fill out and, and, you know, um, basically write the full document yeah, and then go spend all the time to generate the PowerPoint slides. Hmm? It's very time consuming. All of that is, but like the LLMs help with at least, at least, you know, and not using copilot, yeah. but I also tested, um, that inward, but like I have a framework, boom, now I have to go presentate, you know, create a presentation and it's very long, verbose. I have to create all the stuff. 
So in my tests of taking like that full document, that was very well structured and going into PowerPoint and saying, here's my, here's my word doc, yeah. create a presentation. It did a hell of a job. Was it perfect? No. But when I looked at it, I was like, oh my God, you just saved me hours, hours yeah. of my time just framing out these things in a, like a structured way that I can fill out, embellish, tweak. I didn't have any, uh, like I had some um, issues initially trying to get a visualization because I wasn't using the right prompt, but afterwards I didn't have a problem if I was like, hey, throw a visual on here that makes sense with you know what the context of this is. And every single one was different and great. So all these things are are huge time savers as it relates to taking written word and just dumping it into a PowerPoint that gives me a structure that I can work with. The other thing I did test that it <laughs> let me finish, Tommy. You wanted what so bad. I had a cough. The other thing, the other thing I like that I did test was taking the master templates. Right. And there's a there's a like a mm. process. The thing I didn't like about it was it automatically started overwriting my master template file as opposed to just assuming that I'm gonna save that off. Right. So oh. there's a disconnect there. Yeah. Because I have to save Oops. it, save as, and then remove all the slides out of my master, you know, like yeah. that kind of thing. But it still used all of the theme. It used my master yeah. template and um I like would require some tweaks as far as like what fonts or subtitle things it used but it's the content of creating all that that like i said hours alone just made made it worth it right from a, an implementation and creation standpoint so going from that word doc to powerpoint huge i i think is one of the best features i'm going to get a lot of use out of mm -hmm. um and then secondarily one that i haven't explored like really deeply was but in, in the tests I've I've had so far I've been pretty impressed with um same type of thing right like I I need a framework for building a, a proposal I need a framework for a business case I need a framework for a job role all these mm. things like in word doc just brrr, like boom give me the structure and I can fill it out fill it in whatever the case may be so when I think about, and we've talked about this a lot before, when I think about AI and the places that it can like easily plug in, it's the mundane stuff that kills me. And these are mundane tasks. They're like, I need to communicate something. I've got to put the, get these slides together. I've got, you know, framework. I've got to write out all these this stuff. If you're hacking hours or days out of my, a day out of my time, every single time I have to do this, like you're you're winning. And, that's, and that's so far, I'm, it's it is it is in a place where I'm already getting value. So I would say, like from that perspective, I think in those cases, whoever built those functionalities, it's good. And I think that's an important distinction too, because I think Microsoft's assuming everyone who's using Copilot doesn't know what an LLM is, and right. And I think I for me, I'm like. I just asked, show me some key slides. My next thought, because I'm used to this in other models is mm -hmm. why did you choose those slides? Because I want to say like, why are those important? Doesn't understand that. But to your point, Seth, like yeah. those mundane tasks, it's simply building on that. It's not 
everything else, so to speak. It's not and, all and that's a really good point in distinction, right? What what we're describing are two different things. Is yes. it helping you build something from nothing where other tools are? You're saying not really. <laughs> like right. actually, it's pretty much pretty much falling over its face. Is it can it easily take thing like recommend structure, take that and then do something with it? And I found yes, it can do that. Yeah. So so yeah, two different use cases for sure. Yeah. But I, I get what you're saying. Like it is pretty snazzy when you go into other some of the other tools and it's just a matter of how you refine a prompt that produces some pretty amazing outputs. You're picking up what I'm putting down. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think I'm with you on this one a little bit as well, because it's it's more around I see what other tools are doing and now there's a comparison that's being made. Whether yeah. you like it or not, it's it's there. Like it's I, I can see like the ease of use in some of these other tools. So there's there's more of a, a need for Microsoft to like, okay, you're you're gonna play ball with the big guys. Yeah. Like the companies that are making this, you gotta you gotta play ball. Like it's it's time to step up. So I, I think but we're also seeing the very first round of what this is looking like mm -hmm. initially day one. So I, I I have to imagine they're gonna continue, all these teams are gonna continue improving this one. I, I also feel like there's another momentum thing here too as well around like Microsoft made Copilot and there's AI is huge. Like it's the buzzword right now. So I have to imagine there's some layer of like pushing from leadership down into these teams and make sure like every team needs to have a co-pilot somewhere in the program. And some yeah, of it will yes. be dialed and some of it won't be like, some of it will be like really refined and some of it won't because it depends on like it, maybe some teams are throwing a lot of people at it. Maybe some teams are only throwing a couple people or one person. Like that's their whole job is just to get some kind of co-pilot thing working. So there may be some limitations there that we're not quite seeing from the outset. And maybe what we're seeing is that not unified experience. Something you brought up in your comment earlier, Seth, that I thought was really relevant here was now that everything is branded with Copilot everywhere across the entire ecosystem, I feel like there's now this expectation that it is knowledgeable of all the other conversations I'm having across all the Copilots. And I, and I, and I think this is another thing that's kind of a disconnect here, right? It doesn't have context to like, yeah. if I'm talking to it in Teams or if I'm talking to it in Word or I'm talking to it in Outlook, I'm not sure it's getting the context of those other conversations. And there may be some need there. Like, I really wanted to know like what was going on in these other areas or not, not some need. I think this, this is, this drives to the point that it better. I, yeah. At least in my, if you're going to take over the ecosystem of AI in your tool sets and not have third party services, which are very easy to plug in in your Azure ecosystem, yep. right? Yep. Take, take the stance. Like we're already pointing out, you are, you're, you are being compared to those services. Yes. Right. Yes. And the differentiator. And hopefully, like I said, this isn't an area I know a lot about. Hopefully it is, it, look, as, as it relates to Microsoft's implementation, right? Mm -hmm. But if you want to talk about like building something that's going to lock in your customers that they're way willing to pay for, it is this type of stuff that Tommy's talking about that helps mm -hmm. generate content, but also to your point, that works across the ecosystem. So it's not a matter of like, does Copilot understand, you know, you in CRM or Teams or wherever, yes, of course it's contextually aware. The only thing it's not going to do or the only reason it wouldn't be is if you're not paying for that other service, right? Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. it's a feature enablement 
as opposed to where we're at right now, which is just what seems like a very disjointed experience in each one of these tools as it gets rolled out. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean, hundred percent to your point, if, if organization, I, I would say, I, I would be shocked if organizations aren't, aren't heavy pushing, right? Like AI to be implemented in some way, shape or form in their, their organization. Hundred percent. Um, which is interesting, right? Like, as I say that, because if it, we've, we've talked about like right away, when AI was coming out, it, there's the hype cycle, right? Like whatever trains there are, right? There's this, uh, you know, giant push, the trough of disillusionment. And then like normally like a whole bunch of organizations like roll on years later. Mm -hmm. a AI is like not that. It, it seems to me, at least in my circles, it, that everybody's jumping on this bandwagon. It's like, yeah. and, and that is very indicative, I think, of just how transformational this this one is compared to the other technologies we've seen that are, that have been like disruptive or hey if you don't do this thing whatever like AI is crazy man right so it uh, it is it is nuts man it, it'll be fun it's it's gonna be a fun ride wherever it takes us I think so yeah so this is my impression so far see where we anyway. see where it takes us so anyways I I, I I like what Copilot is doing. I think, set to your point, if you can make it shave off hours of my time, I will use it more. Yeah. If it can tell me funny jokes about Chuck Norris, <laughs> I will use it more. If it can, I mean, one thing I will say that it does very well, all of our thumbnails, a lot of things that we do in the podcast have been generated by AI-based things. So yep. image creation, things that are interesting to look at that are st visually stimulating, it's getting that down pretty good right now. And there's a lot of good AIs out there that are doing good jobs with that. So I like the Adobe one that I'm using now for that one. Uh, there's, you know, Leonardo, there's other ones out there as well. But I think some of that creative side of things, it's just good to have a starting point. And to your point, Seth, like, I think we're going to get to a point where we can just start ripping out bullet points or an outline and say, from this outline, make six slides. And then it can get started. And then I can just spend a little bit of time cleaning it up and call it done. Because yeah. honestly, I think, honestly, I think it's a waste of time to make it look pretty. Like someone else should just figure that out. It just should just happen. It should just yeah, designer. And that's already a great feature. I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, honestly. I'm going to focus. I want to focus my time on like thinking about the bullet points, the the thoughts, the training, the the steps through the procedure. I want something else to take care of the rest of the other pieces for me. So, we'll see how that goes. Anyways, really good topic there uh, around the copilot things. So, Tommy, uh, let's jump into our main topic for today. Oh yeah. So if Ooh, you don't talk about AI, well, we will talk about the topic. AI. Nap do a slim gym. Uh, <laughs> so no article today, but that's fine. This is all in our brains, guys. This is all in our mind. <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh boy. And I think this comes from a place because again, the buzzwords that I always hear buzzwords are man, they're they're really bugging me. They're killing me. How many buzzwords are out, out there? We're hearing a lot of data analytics, actual insights, and data visualization. And I keep looking at Power BI and I've been doing a ton of dashboard and days lately. Okay. And building those out and just kind of showcasing the advanced in, uh, slides. I've been doing a few, a few PL 300 exam trainings as well. And I'm going through the slides and I'm teaching the people this and I'm going through the visual side of it and the content talking about the analytics. And I'm having this core question around what is the real difference between 
our normal Power BI report that really is generally basic visualizations. We're going to have a bar chart, line chart, maybe the drill through feature and really true data analytics within Power BI. And we're not talking data science here. We're not talking machine learning or cognitive training. We're simply talking the realm of pure analytics. Back in the day, um, what you might have done at Excel. And I think like, how do we actually make sure that we're providing through a simplified core user interface that is Power BI analytics to the users while at the same time, we're not sacrificing any of their from visuals because yeah, not every visual is analytics. And I think that's really the core of my question there or the hot take. There's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack there. So let's maybe distill this down to like one, let's start talking the topics here. So I think starting yeah. off here at the beginning, let's, let's maybe kind of sit on data visualization and then maybe data analysis, right? Let's maybe, I, I think I have some thoughts around that. So my initial thought here is, you know, what, what is the main key difference between data visualization and data analysis? I think data analysis doesn't necessarily have to render itself into a visual. I think if you think about the data analysis you're trying to do, if you're trying to some, drive something to action, a language you can speak to somebody with is the visuals that you represent. So, Visuals are a language, a, a method of communicating to someone else, uh, comparisons, uh, distributions, those kinds of patterns, and you're conveying through images a message, mm -hmm. right? Color highlights, these things are red, these things are blue. Red things maybe uh, demand more attention for me to look at them because they are highlighting something that I want you to point your attention to. So when I, when I think about data visualizations, I'm thinking this is more of a graphical language of how we communicate data. But then when I move over to data analysis, data analysis feels a lot more like running through numbers and statistics and producing tables of data or doing analysis of, uh, again, I usually like the example of, let's just imagine I have a hundred million row fact table. No one person can go through a hundred million rows and figure out which rows of that table are important to them. What you have to do is you have to aggregate. You have to roll up. You have to figure out where are the sales down for my region? Where is, where can I, where are we underperforming based on prior years? So that to me is going through the data and analyzing it to produce, and I'm going to call this for lack of a better term, the insights, the insights that are, you know, this year we were, the KPI I'm trying to go for is this year's sales versus last year's sales by region. That's, a key metric that we care about. And we want to identify the regions that are substantially below where they should be or where we project them to be. So those kind of things to me, that is data analysis. Data analysis can be represented as a visual, but doesn't have to be. It could be in other forms too. So that's kind of, I just wanted to maybe like cover off on that first part of how I view that. Is your view different, Seth, around data visualization versus data analysis or where they would differ or how they are similar? No, I, I think just drawing on the raw definitions of what these things are align with your explanation, right? Data analytics is the taking raw data and creating meaning behind it, right? So mm -hmm. we, we do that in many different tools. I think we talk about the technologies a lot, right? Like the different parts and pieces of ingesting data and transforming it, flattening it, putting it in a position where we can start to infer, right? Mm -hmm. things that we know about the business on top of the data and drive towards 
to your point, insights. Um, yep. We've been doing this for a long time. Excel is a great place to do that because it allows you to, you know, even prior to Power BI, connect multiple different data sources, mer like throw things together, ram it together in PowerPoint, Power Pivots, um, et cetera. But there are limitations. Like you instantly will hit a point at some point in time where either you're going to have to start coding in Excel or you want a su you want better summaries. You want to start creating additional calculations on top of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the, to me, the trade-off moves into, you know, more Power BI centric solutions where we're still doing that analysis, except it's just ad hoc. I'm just throwing some stuff together. Where data visualization enters into the picture is now that we have meaning behind that data, there are many different ways we can tell that story or we need to, to engage with a certain audience and show them or give them um, the best representations of that in visual form that will help them digest it as quickly as possible. And that's the whole area of data visualization. And there are some fantastic people we've talked about on the podcast before that have spent their careers mm -hmm. diving into the reasons why it's worthwhile to spend time in understanding, hey, there are some really good practices you can use to create visual how, like representations of meaningful data to people. And ultimately, it's to drive and make sure that um, they're easily digesting it. Where the conversation, I think, ebbs and flows in different directions is, is you know, how complex, like mm -hmm. what are what are what are the different types of reporting needs that people have? What should we be doing with Power BI and the data? You know, in in the platforms for the audiences, et cetera, et cetera. But like on in a nutshell, the one is about taking just raw data that we collect and making making it useful for the business. And then the other is how we best communicate that to the business so people don't have to re like do the same analysis over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. We're sharing we're sharing that with other people. And we're also simplifying uh, a lot of the complexity by building the underlying complexity into simple form for, you know, fit for purpose kind of uh, reporting. And I think we all agree because really there, we're defining there are two lanes here that come with both their pros and cons or kind of with their perks. Whereas the data viz is more the what and the when it's a little more leisure. It's more collaborative and it's probably more shareable. Your data analytics is that why and the how, but it's more confined and more strict to me because again, you are, like you said, you're trying to answer usually specific question, whether it be through raw data, it requires the user to have a kind of a common knowledge of what those numbers are trying to convey. Whereas from the data visual side, that's probably your KPI. We want to kind of see the trend. You're just simply communicating what the numbers are, not trying to tell why you are what you are at. Because data viz has a probably more broader audience. So to me, I see that there's two very distinct lanes between them. There's some overlap, but clearly based on what we're saying here, that we're, we're almost, I don't want to say dealing with different tooling, but the way we're communicating is, and the interface itself is going to be different. 
What uh, missing the two lanes? Sure. What, what are the so, distinction you're making between the two and why they're so different? So I'm saying data viz is the the what and the when. What's going on? When did it happen? Some simple trending. The data analytics is the why and the how of any given number. I don't see that as much in the data viz side of it because that's a lot more exploratory. That's a lot more into the details, the widgets. Uh, if we change this by a certain rate, what would occur compared to kind of a common trend? Like where is our trend? Mm. Are we meeting a goal? I don't think I would have I don't think I would have made that initial analogy. But I mean, I think I think parts of that stick. I wouldn't I wouldn't hundred percent say like hundred percent of the time it's no. always those two ways, sure. but I, I feel like that's Generally. a pretty good generalization of like, you know, sometimes the data analysis provides more of the reasoning behind why the numbers are showing something. And and again, I think if you're looking at a single visual, you're probably not going to get the whole story out of a single visual. Right. So right. I feel like what you're saying is like the data analysis is potentially like, you know, it's like a superset of like data visualization. So data analysis would incorporate multiple visuals, pages, tables. Like it's more encompassing that is really aiming to drill towards a specific outcome or action or do some sort of analysis. Yeah, there's a big difference between what is our cost per click and how can we improve our cost per click. Seth is and thinking, I can see the click. thinking faces on. Mm -hmm. The thing, hmm, the thinking faces yeah, occurring. It's not, it's not. I'm just trying, like, I wouldn't, I necessarily wouldn't describe it as two lanes because lanes to me are separations that don't ever cross over. And to me, it's more of an evolution mm. of, of the progress by which we typically make or the stages of how we interact with data, right? Mm. Like mm. data is all over the place. We try to bring it together. We start to apply business rules to make sure that it's fit for purpose and it matches the rest of the applications, right? Great. Now we have the framework by which we can start to analyze. To your point, Tommy, it's like, like the why and how, like what is happening? Like we need to look at the, you know, some information that's going to drive some decision-making. And I think that's where I agree with you. The discovery, the insights that we're pulling together initially from the raw data I think produce the quick wins, quick answers, and it will consistently do that. Where I think it evolves more into what we're what we're terming as visualization, but I would also throw into the data visualization part of that a lot of the modeling and DAX portions, because mm. those are those are specific activities we're taking on to produce outputs in visualizations right much much of the time or ag aggregating data in ways that we can uh, work with it better faster right um and that's where i think we we move out of the quicker conversations but it's like i have this to your point what, what was the example you just used you know i i, I, cost per click. I have What's you know what is click? how do we make it better right what is our cost per click well, moving on to how do we make it better, it may involve multiple different other inputs, us to analyze across the spectrum, us to create a whole bunch of calculated things 
that are going to lead us to a direction like and ultimately this is where it drives into like what questions are we trying to answer and i think that's where the visualization part of this becomes much more refined in conversation and or what we want those outputs to look like because they're going to be reoccurring. Like we're going to come back to this all the time because as the data changes underneath, these visualizations help us understand what is changing as opposed to data and analytics is like, to me, it's like it's the first forays that lead to more refined conversations and, and ways we want to look at things, but they also take more time to develop, right? And I guess that's, to me, it's just this evolution and natural progression of how these two areas work together well and how I, I kind of view them as opposed to two separate I, things. What you just said, I think is the key for me, Seth. I, I'm having this aha moment because I think I was looking at this the wrong way because the measurements itself is truly the heart and soul of what makes something analytical or just something pure honestly data viz this may be more of a hot take saying but in general i would agree on this more than not it would almost be impossible to do data linux off base metric measures or metrics if i have total sales no matter what features available in power bi it's really hard just off of that to do in a sense that genuine analytics, everything's going to be more communication kind of no matter what your dimensions are. Whereas again, change that up, say, you know, what is our, what is our uh, expected sales? What is our, uh, you know, again, some ratio or something off of that base measure. That's when all of a sudden the analytics kicks into gear. I guess I'm I'm slightly confused in how. So let's say you had a power, just... yeah, sure. sure. Let's say a Power BI report. There's two measures: sales and cost. That's all you have. Now you have to build an analytical report. You have whatever your why, why do you keep are. saying analytical report? You're you're building this for someone to make ingrained or integrated decisions. So they're not just going to be high level. Show me my sales over the last twelve months. But where can we get better sales? Yeah, but I, I, I guess I feel like you're being really picky about like what your 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 scenario here is. I feel like I'll broaden. I'll broaden. I'm just saying, like, I feel like yeah. some some companies are like, okay, I just want to see my I want to see my sales. Like, I think I think there's value in saying, just show me my sales over time, and then I'm going to set a goal of, you know, 10 million in sales, and I'm going to see how close I get to that number by the end of the year. Like that that could be like this. That could be like the simplest part of the KPI that sure. we're talking about. But what, what you're talking about, Tommy, is like you're talking about like deeper, integrated, more, you know, layered versions of like, okay, I'm selling 10 products. Which one should I focus most of my attention on? Which one, which are we, which one could we have the most profit from? Like those are other questions that I think are all still just general data analytics, but can be represented as visuals. So I don't, I don't really see the distinction like so separately. Um, I just see it as part of like the conversation around, okay, it's it's well, it's more about what is your end goal? What is your desire at the end of the game? Like, what is that action you want to take away from? And and we'll agree to disagree here because I, I'm I'm going to stand on the point that yeah, you're 12 months and show me the target. Is that really data analytics? Again, I'll put that in the parking lot. But I would how say is it that, not? I think it might be weird. it might be simple in nature, but it's data analytics, even if it's simple. I don't think you can argue with that. 
I think to me that's more just data visualization. That's no, just think, the numbers on the board. I, I, I think I think this is cyclical to me, right? And when I say evolution, like the the simple case I, I laid out is I have raw data, I make meaningful insights using whatever tooling, right? I just I I can do pivots, I can summarize, I can do aggregations, but there's a level at which that becomes harder. And I'm gonna choose a tool like Power BI to add to your point the other metrics I want because I'm I'm being led in an area that it requires more work. And I think that's where data visualization comes in because the more work that's being done, you're trying to summarize and produce those outputs in a way that's cohesive to yourself or an end user. Right. But I that's like that's one scenario. The other is you've already done that. Now we want to go even deeper, right? And that is, I think, where you may not know the, the output of those questions, but you have deemed it necessary to do the, like, want to get to the next levels of insight where you're still going through the same process of, well, maybe, maybe as, I'm, as I'm talking through this, like, you're still driving, but now it becomes, I think, more more refined because you don't know what the outputs are going to be, but we're very familiar with the insights. So are you getting value out of the end product? I think that is that starts to become very dependent on the types of visualizations that you choose and how you produce the outputs because typically there's a lot more going on that needs to be as simplified as possible in a visual format. Yeah, and I'm not arguing that you should only have analytics. I'll simplify the analogy here. Me looking up the score of the Super Bowl is data visualization. That's not data analytics. It's simply numbers in a table looking at me, the points per quarter. That's just data viz, my friend. There's no analytics there. And I like what you said, Seth, because you're right. I think there's that evolution, and I'm not advocating to not have data viz that you can only have data analytics. My case I'm trying to make is I think there needs to be an important distinction on just outputting in numbers to showcase like a box score in baseball, which is not analytics. That's just the numbers, which sometimes to me is no different from sales by month, which is simply the number. Okay. That's our scorecard. I, I think I see yeah. your point. Yeah. I, I think I get, I get your point. I think, I think you have to consider there's like this, analytics maturity curve that goes along with this, right? So part of what you're talking about is, you know, the basic level of this is just looking historically. What did I just see in the rearview mirror? That's that's one level of analytics, but that's a very base level. Yeah. It's your RBI. It's your home runs, right? Whatever that number is, that's a factual roll-up of that number. And I can roll it up by like different groupings, like how much we pay by salary, or I can roll it up by, you know, what year they were born or, you know... All, What's what you know team they're from, right? That's just to me, it's still analytics, it's just very basic. But I think when you start combining those metrics together and you start looking for trends and patterns and like connecting the things, and then you start incorporating things like statistics and doing a lot of other things on top of that, you know, we're more likely to get home runs or hits when we bat a certain way or if we train a certain way. Like so right. I think what you're speaking to is further up that maturity curve. You start going from, I'm not going to look historically, which again is very basic, 
we start thinking about what should we do? What would be the prediction if we take a certain action? And I think ultimately we want to get every organization into like the prescriptive, like what should I do, right? That's where the analytics tell us what is the next step. Again, I'm thinking marketing and sales things, Tommy, because like you do this yeah, a lot, yeah. right? If I can spend $100 on LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter for advertising, and one of those platforms produce more engagement that we define as what we want, or more sales, well, you're going to likely continue to invest more in that platform because it's driving the outcome that you want, right? If we can predict that with our data, then we'll, we know if we do these actions, spend this level of money on marketing, we'll get this return on our investment. And I agree completely. And I think what bothers me and I think what, what fires me up here is because we do all the basic, people think BI stands for basic intelligence, not business intelligence here. And what else we're capable of doing or what the tooling is capable of doing, what we should be asking. Yeah, I, I like I like where you went with some of this because I think I would still call it the same family, right? Mm. But some it's like a family. There's there's going to be kids that are younger in age, and there's going to be like adults that are more mature in age. And like you can look at like you know how the analytics play out in companies, and some companies are going to be very young in their analytical culture. Other companies might have a bit more mature analytical culture where they're where they're focusing more on statistics, repeatable results. Uh, but I think a lot of this you ha you can't get to those higher levels of analytics maturity without covering those basic platforms first. You can't, you can't get beyond historical reporting unless you have it first. You have to have some good historical reporting first before you can start doing predictive and suggesting what, uh, what you should do with your business. So how do, to your point, Seth, or to your reference, how do we then evolve? Do the basic visual elements in Power BI serve the needs already from both visual and analytical? If I just see bar charts and I'm simplifying everything in a good way, again, it's still absolutely important. How is that next step then taken? If I just see a bar chart, I can click on it. I can see trending. How do we get the organization or the teams where to ask other questions or to provide the really that more analytical deep dives? I, okay. So let me, let me try to answer your question. <laughs> the, if data anal analytics is supposed to be driving meaning out of data, visual data visualization is choosing a different type of visual to aggregate data together to communicate that effectively, much more so than a table of information or mm -hmm. more so than what I can get out of a pivot table because it requires more work. But I'm, I'm still producing that insight as as easy as possible. Mm -hmm. I, th I think the principles stay the same, even though the conversations get harder. It what what I mean by that is like, we can get into very hairy places with a lot of statistical analysis, we can do a lot of crazy things with calculations and God knows mm -hmm. what going on in a model. The complexity is how do you convey that to the end user in a way that they can easily digest it. And I think that's where the elevation of this conversation gets harder, but we're doing the same thing that we would be doing in the easy scenarios. Data visualization and the reason we use visuals is because it's easier to consume the information. 
and then get the insights from it. So like I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what's being said. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm following, but it's the visualization part is absolutely important. It just so happens that a lot of the visuals we use that are part of people's lexicons are because we group by something. It's because we use a trend over time and that's a line chart, right? The grouping is a bar chart, whether it's horizontal or vertical, like all of these things in very like simple terms allow us to see things up and down, <laughs> right? Whether it's by a group, whether it's over time, like, and a lot of the questions that we have about our business are either current state, give me red or green, and, and or let me see how something is, you know, moving over time. So do we need to move into the 500 other types of visualization? Well, obviously not. Yeah. Does that mean that because we're producing something that lets an audience easily digest the information, that it was easy for us to create it? No. And I think that's the fallacy is like, just because you see a bar chart doesn't mean it didn't take somebody a month to generate the data required for us to show you that simple bar chart, right? Like if Mike runs everything through six statistical models and the output is that bar chart, yeah. just because it's a bar chart doesn't mean that it was easy to put that information together. If it's easy for you to consume it and make a decision off of it, then it's doing what it should. But that's the hard part. <laughs> Just be, like, like what, what is, uh, there's there's an analogy and in, in tons of stuff in here, right? Like, um, it's the guy with a hammer that knows where to click. That's why you pay him all the money, right? Because he's been doing it for 40 years and what he can produce for you is the expected output that you want. Just because it looks simple doesn't mean that it is. And I think, I, I don't know if that's a mix. Welcome to every Excel file I've ever looked at. Amazing. <laughs> here. It looks simple, but it isn't right, really. Right. right. A mix in here oh, of like but, some of what way, we're talking about. But I've added like a hundred macros and, you know, a million, a million name cell references and all these, you know, complex formulas. And you're like, right. holy smokes, this is a database you just built in Excel. Like this is way too complex. Please don't touch C4. Please don't touch C4. <laughs> right. I, I sorted, I sorted the information. You shouldn't have done that. The last, three, <laughs> now it's the last weird. three columns were the linchpin for everything else to work. <laughs> and you should have just taken A through Z. No, I had a V lookup. No. Yeah. <laughs> More X lookups. Yeah. 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 But so but I don't know if I'm answering right, your question. I, but, no, I agree. No, I, you're spot on, my friend. So I think I want to ask, answer your question to another, maybe another flavor, another angle from this, Tommy. Like, so I think your question was like, how do you get the data culture to start moving in a direction that we think we start thinking more together as a team analytically? Mm -hmm. I think you need to provide, in some cases, it's a little bit of a mix of multiple things here. One of it is just training. Like, sometimes I think we try to take onto ourselves that we are like on an island by ourselves trying to figure everything out by ourselves. There's a lot of other really smart people who probably have figured out most of your business problems somewhere else in a different company. This is one of the areas why I love consulting, because in consulting, I can see across industries the same problem occurring over and over again. So like people talk, talk to me, well, I, you probably have never seen this before. I'm like, well, actually I have not in your industry, but I saw the exact same problem over here and I can take those connections and bring them together and say, okay. I have very disparate experiences that are all saying the same thing. So one thing here is, I think you need to 
I think we need to be more open-minded around exploring solutions holistically as a company. Another thing I think here around, you know, the needs of training is you need to give people space to be able to train themselves. The argument or the uh, a data culture or a culture around, I have no time to learn something new because I'm so busy, I think is a detriment to the company. And that's a, that is a that is a pure people and management piece that's happening inside the organization. You've given people so much work, you're not letting them spend time to actually go learn Power Query, take a class on some data engineering, take a class on some data visualizations, like expand people's minds by giving them some space to be creative in how they get to their solutions. I think what that affords you is if you pay for training, if you pay for something to come in and, and talk to you about this in your company, one, it gets everyone thinking the same way to some degree. You, you can bring in this outside perspective that can give people more insight. And I, I got to be honest, uh, Delta Associates was the company that I used that I got pushed through for training. And I thought I was good in Excel until these guys came in and showed me like a whole new way of thinking about things. And it really helped me focus on, you know, yes, we may have lots of sales in these different products, but which product is actually most important to us as a company? Like, and, and I think a lot of people can, to your point earlier, Seth, right? You can get it really around the world here and do a ton of statistics and data and numbers and analysis. But at the end of the day, does it really point you to the most important thing you need in your data? And I think that's a learned skill. I think it's a learned skill to figure out from all this information, where do I focus my attention? That's kind of hard. So I would put around, you know, give space to people provide some training from external sources, encourage them to read books, maybe even start like a book club. Go find some great visualization books and read them together as a company and say, we're going to buy these books for everyone. At lunch, come down and we'll talk about what we've been reading. Has anyone found anything interesting? Or what are you doing? Does this apply to your day job kind of stuff? Like giving some space for that, I think would really help. Um, and then maybe my last point here is, um, to your point, Tommy, like how do we push people beyond just the report? And I think you're right. I think when people talk about Power BI, they talk about Power BI report pages. It's way more than that now, especially now with Fabric. So I do think, again, having space for people to explore what is a pageant report? How do I connect a pivot table in Excel to a data model and use data from there? And then maybe on those more advanced users, starting to expose them to Spark notebooks and how does a notebook work and how can I access data from a lake? I think those are the skills that are going to be most valuable to your company because it's really going to allow the company to use real enterprise tools to build the next gen solutions that they need for their business. And I think that's the real linchpin for me. Like I'm seeing data engineering become a commodity. Anyone can do it now. And Microsoft wants that to happen. You both have said things that have really connected with me and one thing I'm hearing from both of you in, in an indirect way is there's a lot of reliance too on what the business is willing to measure. And what I mean by that is if you're just looking at your sales over time or that's the your team sales or call, like the number of calls taken, right? That from a very basic level, if that's it, then that's fine. We'll be able to keep BI. But I think part of the training, Mike, is not just how to use Power BI or connect to your data. But how and what are you measuring? For example, if I want to push my teams, like, well, I don't want to just look, I want more calls, but I want to make sure that we're more available to calls. Okay, let make, let's make that a goal for us this quarter. Okay, 
that all becomes a different way, not only from the visual side, but also the DAX measurement, not only more actionable, but it becomes something that now is tied to your, whatever your foundational metric is of number of recalls, but you're looking at a different way. So what we're actually measuring and how we're actually measuring it comes from the business. Yes. Because I'm not going to push them and say, Oh, by the way, everyone's only available 60% of the time, even though you wanted a call center report to look at number of calls, unless that's important to them. It, this goes back to our earlier conversation around the, the implementation side of things. Like, yeah. like the, yeah, yeah. to me, this, I think really makes you sit back and sit, sit back on your ideas and say, what am I really trying to measure? Right. What is, we say, we can, we can say very coy terms. Like I want better engagement on my website. What does that mean? How do we quantify that? What numbers can we put behind that? Does that mean we have to throw a survey on it and say, are people happy or sad about the experience they're receiving? Do like, I even see like, uh, I was in uh, an airport recently and I don't, do you guys do, so when you're in the, in the airport and you're walking out of the bathroom, there's sometimes those little smiley faces, like yes. a red, yellow, green on the airport. Do you ever spend time to provide feedback through that back to the airport? Or whoever's running the bathroom. Have you have you seen those? Take a look at the status of the bathroom first to see if it's actually working or not before I click on it. Well, you know, I look at them and, and it may be totally innocuous. It may be totally innocuous about what's going on there. I mean, it, it could be just like a human experiment on me and I don't even know. Right? It could be something that's like, uh, I'm a placebo effect. Like I had a better experience in the bathroom because I was able to click the green face as opposed to like the red face. Or maybe I felt better about the experience by clicking the red face and, and the data goes nowhere. I don't know. But my opinion here is, like, I think that's a really interesting feedback item. People can passively go through, and if they had a bad experience, if something was out, something didn't work, they could either click the smiley face or the, the frowny face, and that would at least give the uh, people managing the facility some indication around, we should send people to this area of our building. Something's not working over there. And to your point, Mike, if the business or the airport was not willing to measure that or actually have that as one of their uh, metrics... That that's not happening. And that goes to your, I think the open mindedness side of, yeah, don't look at just sales. Yes. That's important. That's obviously what we're all uh, aiming for, Yeah, but be open to another way to look at this. And that's exactly what I see. And I think, I think this is the idea of like, what do, what do we, what is our ultimate end goal of what we're trying to accomplish here? Are we trying to accomplish satisfaction when people are using our facilities? Well, how can we measure that in a non-intrusive way or, you know, setting people down and having them do surveys because, you know, you, that also skews some of the numbers as well. So I think these less intrusive areas allow you to have the ability to detect things. And again, now with like all the things we can do with AI and video, I mean, th this is where the, the volumes of data is going to be increasingly important and it's going to be more impactful for your business because now you can just sit a camera feed down a hallway and you can literally detect who what type of people are walking down the hallway and you can even say, are they happy? Are they sad? Are they mad? Like you can get uh, the emotions off them via the cameras. Like, so the amount of info, like what we want to measure about whatever the situation is, using my building, whatever we had to be more intelligent about what is the end goal? What are we trying to accomplish here? And then from there we can start walking back and say, are we even collecting the right data? Do we need to have different methods to collect what we think is valuable? Cause I think a lot of times we want these great goals, but we don't even have the methods to collect it initially. 
I, I can, Mike, I, I'm envisioning the president of the airport in a board meeting going, we need to improve the experience at our airport. We need a, people to have a better time. What do you think? Someone goes, uh, bathrooms. What? It's like, well, everyone hates a bad, dirty bathrooms. Like, so what do you, what do you want to do? We'll do a feedback survey. Or, they, or how do we, how do we know which bat, like, we which don't one of the bathrooms is, we, don't have, we don't have enough staff to keep it. Every everyone all the time another great which ones which one's the worst one is it more real time than you think where it's like red 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 send seth over there yeah it's clean the toilet <laughs> you know yeah data culture everyone has to be right. open to those conversations and open to measuring that but guess, again it, it goes back to leadership saying what do we care about what yeah, are we really no, trying to measure yeah, yeah. i'm I, I hope this doesn't derail uh, on my final thought <laughs> but oh. When when we're talking about conceptual models and reporting and this cycle where, you know, sometimes these are quick insights and then they're not. And then we're answering more questions and then things evolve. More and more, I'm getting enamored with this idea of the conceptual model being one of the most important parts in engaging with the business. Because it would allow us to solve the short and long-term problems and get us out of a cycle of kind of people thinking one report is the thing as opposed to it being an evolving solution, right? It, because yeah. then it's the framework. It's the place I can go back to with all the conversations. What are we learning? How are we improving? What is the fastest way we can consume and make decisions? And then it's like, we have that place where we can say, here's the problem. This is the solution we have. Okay. What's next? What's the next solution? then two months later you come back where where were we why why were we doing what we were doing um great that that's not relevant anymore let's shift gears and if all that's in the same place i i think that is going to create almost more business value than the products that are developed because in some way shape or form unless those become like the day-to-day reports right if it's a day-to-day report those are the ones that are like a part of the business all the time. But a lot of the reports fall into this realm of like six months it's later. One, why, are we, why are we, why are we, why are we, why are we still supporting this? this? Yeah. Or, or, Hey, this report is doing this. Why did we decide to do that? And That's it's not a good point. documentation. Mm-hmm. I think it's part of this cycle that data analytics is taking raw data. That means nothing and making creating business value. And visualization is simplifying that for the conversation. And if we don't have the context of all of that work, we start, stop, we start, stop, we start, stop, right? Or we create ourselves challenges. And like, I'm just, I think it's this piece in here where for some reason I keep coming back to, boy, that having a conceptual model really evolves, I think this, trade or not trade but like this transition where we're going from you know raw to something more meaningful to something enhanced to something that's driving bigger and better things for the organization and i think ultimately these two concepts they work and play well together um but that's where i kind of land with this conversation that's really a lot of good thoughts there that that conceptual model, I think, is very important. Um, a number of projects I've been on with had a lot of data. We just needed a good job 
sitting down and talking about how does your business run? Tell me the big blocks that you care about. People, products, yeah, these things. And when you can start articulating those higher level goals, because there's usually a lot of like dirty data and weird stuff at the bottom, you got to like reshape and figure it out. I really like that. I think that's a really good point. Tommy, any final thoughts as we kind of wrap today? I think we all need to do a better job and not just the three of us, but when we go in to say what is power BI and what is business intelligence to have that conversation is we're no longer trying to tell you what the score is. We're going to tell you how to win more baseball games and being opened to a different way of looking at that. We're not just looking at the final score. We're going to show you the number of hits. Let's talk about that. And that's going in before we're even showcasing the report and we're showcasing the visuals and all the other neat bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. It is that, to your point, that conceptual side of it of why are we incorporating business intelligence or basic intelligence or data visualization in any form or capacity? And you're right. It starts with what we're measuring. And I'm going to always go back to this is know what you're measuring and how you're measuring it. And that's where all of this begins and will ultimately end yeah i think you're gonna get your best wins there i would say from this conversation here i i think i feel i think i feel like data analytics is a superset of data visualization you use data visualizations inside your data analytics i would like to think that the data analytics can span further than just reporting and i think i think opening our mind up to beyond just the report it's it's a paginated report. It's a notebook. It's, you know, tables that are sitting in a lake house. It's, you know, even getting to the, to the data science things, things of the world, right? You're going to peel off parts of your data and do special things to it. And you're going to need to store it somewhere. So this is why this is, man, I'm just so excited for what Fabric's doing. Cause I feel like this is something I've been working on for like six years with companies to help them build and mature. And, and, and now it's coming into my, my other fun area of power BI. Like this is so sweet because it's, it's now a merge of like, these really cool tools and technologies. I mean, I think we're really on a point here where a lot of companies have promised to deliver this kind of entire ecosystem. I feel like Microsoft is making really good strides to do this in a cost-effective and uh, easy-to-consume way for companies or or for the business to consume. So I'm really excited about this and see where this is going to go. All right. Seth, last point. I I have that last point. Oh, okay. He he already did his. He He started the last point. Seth actually looked at the clock because I just looked at the clock. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're already over an hour. <laughs> so um, with this one, this episode's a little bit long. Uh, apologize for being a little bit lengthy, but we had a lot of words apparently to say. So with that, we really appreciate your ears. We know this was a long hour and six minutes for you to listen to us. Uh, we hopefully you got your run in, your your jog. Um, maybe Tommy can uh, can can say hello to you on his Peloton uh, from his basement when you're, you're doing your workout. Bike. Just a bike. I just go. a bike you know maybe you should put an ipad in front of it and then you can you can say hi to all of our fans uh you know power bi on pedal power on power bi you know maybe tommy will start a new podcast here pretty soon power bi pedaling with podcasters <laughs> yes exactly so with that we just want to say thank you so much if you like this conversation if you like thinking about data and analytics or if you have other thoughts around this please let us know in the comments we do watch and read those um, Tommy will probably respond to them before anyone else does because he's watching them more than anyone else is. But we really like your feedback and we appreciate the comments. Uh, Tommy, where else can you find the podcast? You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe and leave a rating. Helps us out a ton. Or share with five people. Send out a link. You never know what can happen. 
Do you have a question, an idea, or a topic that you want us to talk about in a future episode? Stop it. Do, uh, head over to powerbi.tips slash the podcast. Leave your name and a great question. Join us live every Tuesday and Thursday, 7.30 a.m. Central, and join the conversation on all Power BI Tips social media channels. Tommy has a big poster in his in his basement that has all those words on it so that he doesn't forget how to say it every single week. I couldn't stare at Seth or I was going to lose it. So. <laughs> I, love, I love the fact that just me smiling throws you off so It's much. so rare. <laughs> it's so rare. Amazing. Well, with that, we'll end this with a smile from Seth. Thank you all very much, and we appreciate your time. See you next time.